guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And we have an out of this world episode oh, for you guys. Oh, that was good. You like that one? Yeah. You don't really even know what's going on. N- not really. No. I have a, I've, I've been sitting on the couch over there eating cookies, listening to the <laughs> clips that you have, wondering kind of what's going on. Yeah. We're going to nerd out a little bit on this one. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Yeah. Well, that could go either way, but we'll see how it goes. What? Nerding out is why always a you, positive thing. Why did you make that sound sexual, though? <laughs> hey, you took it that way. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm. We're gonna have a good time. I'm excited. We've been having a good time already. We just did our first Overcrest short for yeah. our Drivers Club members. Exclusive content you can find by going over to overcrestproductions.com/slash Drivers Club. It's right there on the website. For as little as five bucks a month, you can get access to exclusive content, early releases on all of these shows. What else? You get early merch releases. You get early access to the rally. Rally application, stuff yep. like that. Yep. And uh, t-shirts we're still doing for our top tier level. And hey, other- and if, if you just want to be supportive and you want to support the show, make sure that we can still do this stuff. Like the basically the um, the, the driver's club paid to go scout for the rally. Yeah, essentially, you know, that, like that. You guys are really the our core. Uh, I, there's drivers club members listening right now. You guys are our core. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And if you want to be part of that, it's just five dollars, five dollars a month. Same as like a Red Bull and a half. And you can be part of the Overcrest and Drivers Club. And we will Club. excite you more than that Red Bull. I guarantee you. Yes, absolutely. Well, Jake might. <laughs> <laughs> OK, Chris, I would like to start Wait, this what's week's that? episode. What's the, what's the link? You didn't give I out already the- said overcrestproductions.com slash drivers club. OK, that's it. Yep. Sorry. That's fine. All right. I'm going to start this week's episode with a question. One that we have pondered before, and I'll admit this is going to open a whole can of worms, but I'm hoping I can be a bit more versed on the topic this time around. So the question... Why is a can of worms bad? Why is opening a can of worms bad? Because they go all over. The whole point know, is when it, you open it, not, they're all, all over the place. Yeah, but you can just grab one. Well, you don't want one. You're trying to contain the can. Ah, uh, okay. So, but they don't really leave the can. They just sit there You're and squirm right. They around. just squirm. It's not a good analogy. It isn't. I but mean, you they're get all, it. They're all wriggling all over the place, and I understand that, but it just doesn't seem like it, it's a, that big of a deal. I suppose it's because, uh, like, worms aren't good, you know? I don't. Well, if you're fishing, they are. It's true. Or, if, you know, that's no big deal. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We, that's like, that's, that's an- a- Oh, that's another Overcrest short. Yeah, the origin some, of that some etymology. We'll yep. do an etymology episode of our favorite sayings. I like yeah. that. I like that a lot. All right, Chris, here's the question that we're going to spend the next hour on. Are we alone in the universe? Do you want to know my real theory? Yeah, I do. Uh, yes, I believe we. I <laughs> Okay, hold on. All right. <laughs> it depends. You might on, change your your um I understand. thought by the end so of this. So there's it depends on if we are we could be, technically, we could be the first to evolve. Right. Our evolution as human beings has been extremely rapid in terms of a cosmic sense. It's been Potentially. Like, dude, we've, we've evolved over a course of, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Right. Human beings. Yeah. That's not very long in the cosmic sense. Right. So we could be either first or last. We have nothing to base that on, though. Yes, we our do. data we set how, is one. We know, yeah, but we know how old the universe <laughs> is, and we we have to we have to believe that all of the universe, all uh-huh. the known universe that we know of, uh-huh. operates under the same uh, chemistry and same carbon-based right. life form, yep. and has all the same you know building blocks. And if you look at other the odds of other life forms developing as fast as we did, right? I'm not sure if that was possible. So we might be first. 
Yeah. Maybe we're the first ones. Maybe human beings are going to be the ones that go zooming off to find other uh, planets and civilizations. Because if we're Maybe. not, if we're not first, yeah, they would already have been here. Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. Well, Fermi, Fermi paradox, which we'll get to. It states we're too far apart, basically. Mm, light years, Chris. Light years. Light years. Light years. Yes. Okay, so specifically my question is, is there advanced intelligent life outside our immediate solar system? We might be able to find microbial, you know, stuff somewhere. I think we will find that very yes. soon. Um, and as much as we'd love to speculate, the truth is, as I said, we have zero evidence to the answer one way or the other. As famed astronomer and astrophysicist Carl Sagan so eloquently put it, in our present ignorance of how common extraterrestrial life may actually be, any attempt to estimate the existence of technical civilizations in our galaxy is necessarily unreliable. Yes, we have no idea. We have no clue. So yep. I'm wondering if, like, if you believe in the Big Bang, right? Mm -hmm. Everything, everything on Earth is, ex or everything in the universe is expanding, right? So uh -huh. it theoretically came from a singular point. Gravity, everything is attracted to itself, right? I have grav. That's how gravity works. Sure. That's how planets are formed over uh -huh. the course of a huge amount of time. Are you bored with me already? No, I'm you're just wondering going, where you're uh -huh. going with this. Okay, well, I'm just just a just a, a thought. I know. You're, you're talking the rubber band theory. So everything expands, right? Comes all the way back and contracts again. Yep. And do is everything the same every time? No. But you're, you, talk, you're talking the Big Bang has happened several times. Yes, has it happened several theory. times? And is it the same every time? I don't because there's there's a, a no. Set, how could it be? Because of thermodynamics, or, or you can't have more. The, the system is not creating more, right? It's always no. it always has the same amount of fill in the blank. So if it contracts again and goes back into its big bang thing, uh -huh. and, and the gravity pulls itself back together again, uh -huh. when it explodes, it's going to explode in the same way, the exact every, same way. Everything, is every particle goes exactly where it did before. Why wouldn't it? Because randomness. There's no ra there's no such thing as random. Uh, mm -mm. There's no such thing as random. On a quantum level. Mm. On a quantum on level, a quantum like level particles are spinning in a certain way. If this photon is, you know, or this like a little electron is over here instead of over yeah, here when it explodes would, again. When it contracts, uh -huh. it's going to explode uh -huh. and then it's going to contract again. Why would the contraction be different the second time around? Because it's all the same dust and molecules <laughs> and particles and quarks and atoms. So you're saying we've been here I think before. We've My, done this exact same podcast. Yes. We have done this exact same podcast like before. trillions of years, trillions ago. of times. Okay, I I, tr I think we've done it over and over and over again. That seems very depressing that we're just repeating ourselves. Yeah, but there's also you know there's also the alternate universes thing, right? Yeah, where I'm you, and you're me. <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> and 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 we're like we're different. We're women, and we're the women versions of ourselves. Or I'm interested now. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I'm just like we have like we have the, <laughs> we have. It's, I just think of a, an infinite system, right? I think uh -huh. of an if, infinite system with an infinite amount of variables. Obviously, so oh, so now it is variable amount of variables within the context of our <laughs> physics, uh -huh. our chemistry, uh -huh. our entropy, our thermodynamics. Uh -huh. So th yeah, there's not a, a system where. You're, well, maybe there is where you're a talking dog over there, okay? And I'm a talking dog. Maybe the dog's involved and they are the ones uh -huh. that can talk. Maybe that's theoretically possible, but there's like an infinite amount of possibilities. I just find it fascinating. 
Okay. And let's, let's, I'm going to reel you back in okay, a little I, bit here. I'm sorry. Uh, so I mentioned Carl Sagan. Do you know who Carl Sagan is? He's a, he's an astronomer and writer. Yeah. So I had, of course, heard the name and knew he was an astronomer. But beyond that, I really had no idea just how influential and accomplished the man was. He was born in Brooklyn in 1934 to first-generation Russian immigrants. And, quote, my parents were not scientists. They knew almost nothing about science, but in introducing me simultaneously to skepticism and to wonder, they taught me the two uneasy cohabitating modes of thought that are central to the scientific method. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what the scientific method is? Isn't it like uh, test and test and verify, basically? Is it like hypothesize, test, verify? Yeah, you got to do the hypothesis and then you do experiments. And then you verify. Well, that's what you verify that your experiment is relative to the hypothesis. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the scientific method is anymore. It's been a while. It's been a that long time. That was like middle school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so before enrolling in college at only 16, mind you, Carl entered an essay contest in which he posed the question of whether human contact with advanced life forms from another planet might be as disastrous for people on Earth as it was for Native Americans when they first had contact with Europeans. Yeah, imagine if aliens brought us blankets. That's exactly what I was thinking. Be, oh, these blankets are like, wow, look amazing. At, and oh, then oh, we oh. all die. Yeah, we all die. Yes. The subject was considered extremely controversial, but he was awarded first prize regardless. And even before completing his graduate degree, young Carl had earned a top secret clearance at the U.S. Air Force and secret clearance with none other than NASA. So he's like just out of undergrad college. Look at the big brain on Carl. Yeah, man. (laughs) Quote, in his spare time over the summer, he worked on the classified military project A-119. What's that? What was project A-119? Oh, it was no big deal. It was only the secret plan to nuke the moon. (laughs) Why? Yes. (laughs) Why are we nuking the moon, Jake? So I think we actually touched on this a little bit in our previous episode titled The Greatest Secret Project You Never Heard Of, which was Operation Starfish Prime. Right. That was about the government project to detonate a nuke in space. And while Operation Starfish Prime did actually happen, again, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. That was, I liked that one. Uh, Project A-119 never came to fruition. Um, That's good. It is. Uh, So besides the scientific value of studying kind of the composition of the moon, like you blow it up and you see what is in there. Or you could just go there and just look. Well, the primary objective of the project was literally to scare the Russians. Mm. Be like, look, we can explode something on the moon. This was 1958 after all. In the (laughs) earlier days of both the Cold War and the space race. As if it wasn't enough to just blow up an island. You know, with, we did that to, too. I mean, we blew up. Well, that and I'm talking about Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Oh, behold! Why do we yeah. need to do the moon when we did because Japan? We were out of this world, man. I guess so. Uh, yeah. So Russia had just launched Sputnik. I think the it was US more, more was, of a propaganda thing. Jake. Yeah, they were looking to get a leg up yeah, and be they like, wanted to just, look, in the newspapers, literally have like look a, up the man and, on the moon with. I can, I'm just imagining the artwork with this is the man in the mood grimacing, and there's like a nuclear <laughs> thing coming out of it, <laughs> like the 1930s imagery yeah. of the man in the yeah, moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I get that now. Yeah, no. Instead, NASA decided to just focus on a manned mission to the moon. Of course, better plan. Yeah, and by the way, it's probably a really good thing we did never nuke the moon. Uh, besides possible dangers of. Time Idle impacts and debris hitting the earth, it is summarized that it likely would have started an all-out militarization of space. So rather than in the following decades having like 
kind of like in space, you know, us hey, in the USSR. Like, yeah, nice international space station. Yeah. It would just be us like blowing each other up in space. Wonderful. Yeah. Anyways, back to Sagan. He published more than 600 scientific papers and authored more than 20 books. He was responsible for the first physical messages sent into space, the Pioneer plaque, and the Voyager Golden Record. Do we know what the original messages said? Yes. Like, so we come in peace? Do you know about the, the Voyager Golden Record? No. You don't? Okay. So you know the probe Voyager? Yes. It was this satellite that we sent out, and it's just like going into outer space. It's beyond the reaches of the solar system now. They literally had a gold like turntable record that yep. they put on it because gold will not deteriorate. Yes. Right? It's non-reactive. It's, it's yeah. And uh, it was basically meant to be a greeting to extraterrestrials. So on this golden record, there was a plate that basically told you how to like put a needle here and make it spin at this rate and you can hear it. And do you want to hear it? Yes. Hello from the children of I don't know aliens. I, no, I think we can nuke this civilization. <laughs> I can't even understand what they're saying. We step out of our solar system into the universe seeking only peace and friendship to teach if we are called upon to be taught if we are fortunate. So I, that's not the whole thing. I can, basically, hey, our communication skills are zero, and we're seeking peace it and was, just kill us, please. It was, no, it was basically um, sounds of the world, like different languages, mm -hmm. children saying hello, and then it was like the leader of the UN saying, yeah, we come in peace, and this is us exploring the space. It sounds like everything is coming from a position of fear when I hear this. Yeah, it was. You know, it sounds like it's coming from a position of, yeah, there's please, a, please don't, don't kill us. Yes. Please. 100%. We don't have anything. We don't have anything, okay? I mean, we've got this golden record. I don't know if you like gold, but we got some. <laughs> you can have it all, but we come Just, in peace. Yes, basically. <laughs> well, there is a whole theory I didn't outline here that's like the bear in the woods or the baby in the woods. I forget what it is. It's something where it's basically stating how dumb are we that like we have no idea what's out there, but we're just like a baby screaming into the woods at night like, hi. Yeah. And like... Well, that's not gonna end well. That's what I'm saying. Right. It comes from a, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, you got to keep in mind we're beaming everything into space constantly anyway with radio yes. signals, TV signals, we are. everything else just beaming. Just like they they're looking at like imagine an alien turning into like CNN or Fox News or yeah. something right now, just being like, wow, they elected that guy. Well, it's also light years away. So whatever happened like 40 years ago, yes, when we started broadcasting, that's yep. what they're. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? 40 light? No. Yeah. 40 light years. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is that 40 light years away. The Cold War. These guys. <laughs> well, oh. let's, let's not go to Earth. They're probably dead. <laughs> they're not there anymore. Yeah. This Cuban Chances Missile Crisis are, thing. That didn't end well. Yeah. They didn't end well. They're, they're not even there. It's just a giant scorched piece of burnt pizza. We will get there. That is one of the theories why we haven't heard anything. Ah, okay. Civilization just kills itself off every time before we get interstellar. I wonder if that's a... Uh, a condition of our computer programming from our overlords. <laughs> yeah, we're just not, we're not meant to. We're to not interact. meant to do that. Yeah. That's that's like okay. our. I feel like <laughs> you are so off the map. Sorry, like geez, you're into like different 
dimensions and all of a sudden we're all in a program well, and think of, i think we are look, uh-huh, at, the way, look uh-huh, at the way that the body is uh-huh, bioengineered uh-huh if you take cells out of what they do uh-huh and you just have like stem cells and you just have them do like yeah. without any instruction yeah they just find out what to do on their own yeah they just do their own thing yeah that's called dna and evolution I, 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 well, I understand but i'm saying there's a set of instructions that cells and everything must follow mm-hmm. where did that come from biology where did it come from? Where did the set of instructions oh come? Where did the computer, where did the program <laughs> that was written for cells and the matrix? Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yes. Carl Sagan narrated and co-wrote the award-winning television series Cosmos, A Personal Voyage. He also wrote the 1985 science fiction novel Contact, which was the basis of the awesome 1997 film of the same name. Yeah, there are. 400 billion stars out there just in our galaxy alone. If only one out of a million of those had planets, all right? And if just one out of a million of those had life, it would be us. And if just one out of a million of those had intelligent life, there would be literally millions of civilizations out there. Well, if there wasn't, it'd be an awful waste of space. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I forgot Matthew McConaughey was in that. <laughs> um, yeah, I love that movie, by the way. I can't I kept remember it. stumbling across other clips of it, and I'm like, that is so good. I'm trying to figure out. Because Carl, Carl Sagan wrote it. Right. Like the foremost, like, he's the guy. He's the guy. Yes. And arguably one of Sagan's greatest contributions was his promotion of the search for extraterrestrial intelligent life, or SETI. Sagan proposed that electromagnetic radiation is the fastest and also by far the cheapest technology that we possess that could reach other intelligent beings, if any were out there. He went so far as to calculate the cost per photon, along with the amount of absorption of radiation by interstellar gas and dust, to conclude that radio waves seem to be the most efficient and economical method of interstellar communication. Okay, so here's my question. We, we're on Earth. Okay, uh-huh. so we have That's a, correct. We have like what? Like a tight... I don't beam. know where you are, but yes, we are on Earth. <laughs> well, you're closer to it than I am. The If you think of like a tight beam radio wave yep. going out into space. Yes. Think of drawing like taking a string and drawing it out into space. Yeah. What are the odds that that's going to be heard or seen by anyone? Because it is such an infinitesimally small yeah. thing. Yep. There's no way. I mean, it is a broadcast. It's not like a laser beam. I know, but it would still be like, it would, yeah, I know, but it's. It's a wave front, okay? Think of us as a globe sitting out there. And yes, we're only able to see like a quarter but of the sky weak, at a but time. But that's weak. That's right? a, that's yes, a weak form of communication. Yes, it is. I'm talking about a strong, like a tight beam yes. pattern would be much stronger. We would only stronger. see it for a little bit. I know, if we but, able to see it. I know, but it would it would almost oh, like just it, you wait. Just you wait. I, like intercepting that <laughs> yeah. would be like accidentally Needle running across like a, a person stranded in the ocean. Yeah. Like going across yeah. it, it's in the odds of intercepting any of that are so And that's so... why we only did it once. <laughs> just wait. Okay. Anyways, uh with this whole SETI project of mine, Carl Sagan founded the US Planetary Society in nineteen eighty, along with two other scientists, and the society's primary goal was the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. <laughs> did you know? Oh, did you know when I was a kid, I went to the Epcot Center and they had this whole ET thing set up, right? And they had like, uh-huh. they were showing how 
like the kid rides the bike, ET's in a little milk crate on the front of yep. the bike and they yeah. go off into space or whatever. And they had a big green screen set up. Yeah. And they would bring people down to do like a demo. Yeah. It was me. Really? You got, got to pedal to, the I, bike? I got to pedal E.T. around in a bike. <laughs> That's amazing. That pretty special. <laughs> okay. So in the early 1980s, Harvard University physicist Paul Horowitz took the next step and proposed the design of a spectrum analyzer. Analyzer. Or analyzer. <laughs> that sounds like a workout equipment. <laughs> oh, no, but if you break it down, it's analyzer. <laughs> Anyways, a spectrum analyzer intended to specifically search out SETI transmissions. You see, traditional spectrum and analyzers, why do I keep doing that, uh, were of little use for the job as they sampled frequencies using banks of analog filters and were therefore restricted in the number of channels they could acquire. Just imagine this, these things that they, these things on the, the, the radar dishes, right? Yeah. That they're receiving these yep. SETI signals from. Yeah. They're on the earth. Uh-huh. They're very small. Uh-huh. Relative to earth. Right. And they're spinning. Okay. Okay. So if a if something goes flying by, yep. the odds of it even getting heard are: are we in the right rotation of the sun? Right. Are we on the? Is the Earth in yeah. the right rotation? I know to have it pointed right at the I'm thing. I'm telling you, that's why it only happened once. <sighs> okay. Uh, however, using contemporary integrated circuit digital signal processing, it's Ooh. 1980, yeah. mind you, our intrepid Harvard physicist built autocorrelation receivers to check far more channels. This work led in 1981 to a portable spectrum analyzer named the Suitcase SETI that had a capacity of 131,000 narrowband channels. Because theoretically, the amount of channels that exist are infinite. Right. So you kind of yes. Yeah, I mean it is. So how do you decide where to, what what right. to listen how for? How do you tune in? I don't. Know, but that's what Suitcase SETI. You ever be in the middle of nowhere and you're driving around in your car? And you don't, and it's an old car. Well, you don't experience this because you buy Audi A6 wagons and drive them across. Yeah, country. that's my oldest you, car. You're in, <laughs> not true, not true. But you drive across country. <laughs> and you've got like the the tune knob, flip, and, flop, and you flip, you flip, 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 flip back and forth, and you can like just gradually turn it just a little bit, and you can kind of catch a little. Yep. And you can catch a little glimpse of like something halfway between and frequencies. There's like, there's like a voice, and you can hear that there's a human voice, but you're not sure what it is, and then it kind of comes and goes, and you're trying to turn that Aliens. little knob because it's just like an infinite. It's not aliens. <laughs> it's Bob trying to sell a circular saw yeah. on the morning auction program of, of the town nearby. Yes. Okay, so suitcase SETI. This is cutting edge in the 80s. What's in the case? It's suitcase SETI. What's in the <laughs> box? No, that was Ronan. What's in the case? What's in the case? Ronan? Oh, what's in the case? I'm thinking of seven. What's in I the know, box? That's good, but this is suitcase. And I was like, what has a suitcase? Ronan. Yes. You never know what's in the case. You never know. What's in the case? SETI. You never know what's in it in uh in uh Pulp Fiction either. He just opens oh, the case right. and his face glows with gold and you're like, what the fuck is in the stupid Obviously case? Obviously gold. Nobody knows. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino doesn't even know what's in the stupid box. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so after two years of field tests. Kudos to Seven for letting us know what's in the box, yeah, which it's is the wife's head. It's a severed head. So at least they told us what's in the box. Yeah, it was the it was the final sin. It was the final sin. Yes. Anyways, after contact is better than seven, by the way. Mm. Seven's Much very better. Good. Seven's really Contact's good. Contact's amazing. It, it held up so well, too. Kevin Spacey is untouchable. I mean, he's obviously a pervert. I was going to say, is he? Because are we? Can we? He can touches we take a, a lot. Second, can we take a second to separate people from? You didn't get my reference. What did you say? You said he's untouchable. I, was, he, I hear he touches a lot. Ooh, yes, he certainly does. I'm just. Can we? Can we separate? <clears throat> People and what their accomplishments are and what they're good at, but also acknowledge that they're assholes and terrible people. Yeah, it's like you're good at podcasting, but also an asshole. 
that's true. <laughs> and you guys are still listening, so that's good. Uh, after over two years of field tests, the suitcase SETI was put into use in 1983 with the 26-meter Harvard-Smithsonian Radio Telescope in Massachusetts. This project was named Sentinel Ooh. and continued into 1985. However... Even 131,000 channels were not enough to search the sky in detail at a fast rate. So Suitcase SETI was followed in 1985 by Project Meta, which stood for Mega Channel Extraterrestrial Assay. Can we... What kind of noise does space make? It, it has a cosmic hiss, which right. I'll get to. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Okay, we'll get there. Uh, Meta Spectrum Analyzer had a capacity of 8.4 million channels and a channel resolution of just 0. 0.005 hertz. Wow. So you're talking about flipping and flapping between channels? That's a... That, that's yeah, it's real small. That's... You can get way down there. <laughs> In addition to its massive frequency range and sensitivity, it also made use of frequency Doppler shift to distinguish between signals of terrestrial and extraterrestrial origin. The Doppler shift, of course, is the change in frequency of a wave in relation to an observer who is moving relative to the wave source. Oh, just wait. Just wait. In other words, you can tell whether a signal is coming or going based on the frequency shift. For example... For example. <laughs> oh, there it went. Yeah. Basically, the, the frequency is compressing as it gets Correct. close to you yep. yeah, and expanding moving. as it goes away. And yeah. this happens with light as well. It does. That's why when astronomers look and they call it like, if you've heard of the red shift. Red shift, blue shift. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, you know things. I know lots of things, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the new technology of the Meta SETI detector, the project was led by Horowitz with the help of the Planetary Society. Is this thing is able to receive all these signals at once? Yes. Wow. So yes. it's, that's insane. Where does data go? Well, that's part of it. Okay. Just wait. All right. Uh, Sounds like I'm always asking the right questions. You that are, makes me you're happy. You're onto it. Well, yeah, I think that's it. just really good my writing that I'm able to like. Yes, you're leading. Yes, exactly. very, very nice. Like, oh, excellent thank job. you. Thank you. Uh, anyways, uh, Metaseti, Planetary Society, they're funded in part by none other than movie maker Steven Spielberg. He's the one funding that? He's the one funding part of this program. It's all coming full circle. What a guy. E.T.? Yeah. What Spielberg? a guy. Yeah. While SETI was and still is a serious undertaking, it wasn't the first... So that Sentinel thing still exists. It's still doing stuff. It's still uh, listening. Sentinel is not, but we have other forms of SETI okay. that are still going on. Um, yeah. So what's a serious undertaking is still going. It wasn't actually the first attempt at listening for radio signals from space. Back in 1924... Over 70 years prior to SETI activities, Mars had entered the orbit closer to Earth than at any time in the century before or the 80 years following. In the United States, a, quote, National Radio Silence Day was promoted during a 36-hour period from August 21st to 23rd. With Did this seriously all radios, Yes. All radios quiet for five minutes on the hour every hour at the United States Naval Observatory. A radio receiver was lifted two miles above the ground in a giant blimp. The program was led by David Peck Todd with the military assistance of Admiral Edward W. Ebery, who was the chief naval operations, and W. Will M. Friedrich, who's the chief crypt cryptographer of the United States Army, who was assigned to translate. What? 
any potential Martian messages. Yeah, well, they don't know. They've never seen Mars. It's we we're spoiled now because <laughs> we've sent robots there. We but have in like the twenties, they put a giant dish up in a blimp. That's and the they best made they could everyone do. quiet. Shut the fuck up. Quiet. We're listening. <laughs> Because Mars is close right now. We're going to hear up, guys. So as ridiculous... The green men. Yes, as ridiculous as that may sound, you need to realize that in the first decade of the 20th century, it was virtually accepted but as fact that there was intelligent life on our neighboring planet. We really? knew it. We knew it. This belief was set forth by early astronomers who cited seeing, quote, canals or even massive roadways traversing the planet. Some even claiming to see flying machines. These canals, as was later determined, was nothing other than chance alignment of craters and other natural surface features seen in telescopes near the limit of the resolution. Mm. So you're looking really close. You can see two dots. Oh, that's obviously a line. Right. They did studies after the fact. And like, if you're looking at a blurry image and they put a bunch of dots everywhere, you naturally connect them. I see. And if you're using a lens from 1920s that might have scratches on it or something, you're like, look at it. There's a road. Look at the roads. Obviously, they have roads. And green men. And green men, yes. Uh, so this, combined with imperfection in the lens of these early telescopes, led to early astronomers' imaginations running wild. So much so, in fact, that in the years leading up to that National Radio Silence Day, the New York Times ran the following headline on the front page. Quote, Scientists agreeing Martians are super race believe that planet may be signaling to us. So... Well, obviously, nothing was ever heard of from Mars. It's no wonder that we're so interested in listening to the heavens. You know what else is kind of interesting that we should listen to? Hmm. This ad from Petrobox. No. <laughs> Petrobox is a monthly service made specifically for the automotive enthusiast. Each month, they carefully select items, including tools, detailing supplies, apparel, garage gear, stickers, and publications to be sent right to your doorstep. It's a curated selection of the latest and greatest gear in the industry. There are actually two different levels of subscription to choose from as well. The Petrobox Basic costs less than 20 bucks a month, while the Petrobox Premium gets you even more gear for $39.95 a month. Check them out at mypetrolbox.com and be sure to use the code OVERCREST at checkout to get $6 off your first month. I'm just looking at uh, some... I won't read any of them because they're not that interesting, but... 1920s uh, Martian things? No, uh... War of the Worlds came out in 1898 by H.G. Wells. Yes. And I think, when was that radio program? The 20s. It was the yeah. 20s, because yep. that really got people ripping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's all right there. Uh, let's fast forward, they all though. believed it. Nope. People yeah. believed there was an invasion 100%. happening. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, fast forward to 1978, though, when the Meta Project was just getting going. Once again, the project captured public imagination. So much so that Carl Sagan was invited to speak okay. on the Johnny Carson well, show. Is it Sagan or Sagan? I think it's Carl Sagan. Sagan? Yeah. Well, let's You're hear. driving me nuts. Really? Okay. Sagan? Yeah, I think okay. it's Sagan. My next guest, uh, I always look forward to having here. He is a professor of astronomy and space sciences at Cornell, director of the Laboratory for Planetary Studies. He's written a best-selling and fascinating book called The Dragons of Eden. Would you welcome, please, Dr. Carl Sagan. Sagan, We start talking, we've talked about this before, but it's the fascination is still mind-boggling. You're involved now with looking for extraterrestrial intelligence, right, with a committee. How do you go about looking for? Well, there, there are 
a number of popular ideas. How would you know it? I mean, that they were. Maybe we couldn't comprehend what they were trying to tell us. Is that a possibility? Uh, sure, but uh, it's a little like this. If, uh, if you're an advanced civilization and you wish to communicate to a backward civilization, you talk slow and simple and uh, and obviously and, we would be the backward civilization because we, we do not have that capability of well, doing what we just emerged and uh, the idea is simply to uh, look at a lot of stars uh, or carve up the sky into little pieces and look at right. each piece and see if there's a message coming to us now even the nearest one would be well, nearest star is uh, a little more than four light years away, so if we got a message today, it left that star four years ago. question of how you would recognize uh, a signal as intelligent, uh, suppose you heard something which said beep, 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 <laughs> beep, 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 beep. Got and it. went through the first 30 or so prime numbers. That's an answering service. <laughs> <laughs> In other words, you go through the, the numbers. Yeah, and, and uh, there's no natural process which, you know, we would say 1, 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, 17, uh, which are the, right. I missed one, the, the, the first few prime numbers. And so you would say, well, look, here's somebody who for some reason is into prime numbers. Prime number is a number that can only be divided by one in itself. Right. Here, here's somebody who's into prime numbers. They've attracted our attention. The remarkable thing is that uh, for all of the history of mankind, uh, people have wondered about intelligence elsewhere. I think it's in religion and philosophy, legends. But uh, this is the first time that we have the competence and ability to actually do such a, such a search, and we're just beginning. So you think about the uh, um, that we're emerging, right? Right, yep. And, I've, and I've, I want to touch base on this again. I've talked about sure. this before, but we have... The Kardashev scale. <laughs> and we've talked about this yes. multiple times. We have type zero through type seven. Okay. So if we right. think of like what a civilization is capable of right. and able to do on a planetary or interplanetary or inner universal scale. So type zero is preplanetary. This is a civilization that extracts all its energy, information, and raw materials solely from planetary resources and can travel beyond its home planet. So kind of us. Type one is planetary, can use and store the equivalent of all of the energy in and reaching its home planet and become interplanetary. So we're, we're like, we're almost, we're almost there because we can kind of harness the sun, right? Sure. But we're doing a very poor job of it. Yes. Like we're doing it very But bad interplanetary, it. like Elon is on track. We're, he we're, says we're, we're bringing men to Mars in 2030, I sure, think. Sure, and the Cybertruck will probably be done around the same time. All right, type two uh, can harness the total, it's stellar, can harness the total energy equivalent of an entire star's output and become interstellar. Okay. okay. So type two is being able to harness the sun so, and travel to another star. But what if you can do one of those before the other? Like, I think it's much more likely that we're going to somehow go to the nearest star four years late, years away before we can harness the entire sun. I think it's about doing both. I think it's about reaching all of these marks. And okay. I don't, is there any stars four light years away? Yeah, that's what Carl Sagan just said. Is it four light years? Four light years. I think that's Alpha Centauri. Yeah, but that's at the speed of light. Right. Okay, so you have I know, to, so maybe it'll take us 40 years to get there. That's still doable before we, we can We aren't even remotely the, close to being able to harness the type of energy that would be able to propel a vehicle that fast. One-tenth no, speed of light? No way. Solar sails. Then what are you harnessing? You're harnessing yeah, all of the power. Yeah, but you're not putting a Dyson sphere around the sun. No, but you're still harnessing all of the energy from that to do that. So I think that's closer to okay. type two. Type three, galactic. <clears throat> 
Yeah. This is a civilization that can control energy equivalent on the scale of an entire galaxy and become intergalactic. All right. Uh, type four can control this. It's pretty easy. It's, it's really can weird. Can control the energy equivalent of its home universe, have instantaneous travel, and manipulate the fabric of space time. <laughs> That's only four. Type five. Uh huh. Multiversal. Uh huh. Can escape their universe of origin and explore the multiverse and have time travel into the future. Oh, also like the metaverse. Type six. Oh, my God. Megaversal. Uh-huh. All right. Can exist in an infinite amount of simultaneous multiverses and instances with unlimited space-time travel. So these were thought so up in like the, I think like 100 years ago or something. Uh, it was proposed in 64 by okay. Nikolai Kardashev and modified in 73 by... Carl, Carl Sagan. Sagan. Okay. And this is the scale that we use. It's his scale. It's what made me think oh, of this. Okay. All I right. So it. type five, six, megaversal. Can exist in infinite amount of simultaneous multiverses and says with unlimited space time travel. Type seven, uh-huh. omniversal. <laughs> God level traveler and manipulator of all universes, multiverses, and megaverses. I feel like we're, in a way, are we omniversal by being able to write software that can create artificial intelligence and you could you could fool you could literally fool an AI being into thinking that they're omniversal by creating an environment or a program that we're they operate within. No, we're not there yet. All right. So type seven civilizations. So dumb. Uh, there's, I'm trying to look at the, uh, they have like examples of, uh-huh. of, of these types of people. Like it's, it's not, I guess it's, 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 we're diving too deep on this, but this is like, this is <clears throat> the type of civilization that would need to exist to contact us is probably a type two or more civilization. Right. Yeah, sure. I would say. Can harness the total energy equivalent of an entire star's output and become interstellar. Yes. That is the type of civilization that is going to be looking for others. For, for others. Yes. I, I think that's... Uh, actively looking. Right. We're, we're listening. We're passively. We're yes. passively looking. Correct. They're actively looking. Yes. And so, so how long does it take... How long would it take humans to get mm-hmm. to type two? I think they say it's going to be like another 100,000 years or something like that. Maybe more if we survive. You know, it's, yeah, it's like, are we, know. like, are we even ever going to be able there to do that? There was also a study that said civilizations on a whole only last 6,000 years. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, anyways, while astronomers are in agreement that this time, okay, while astronomers are in agreement at this time that it makes sense to listen for signals from space, the question still remained of what frequency a signal may be broadcast on. You kind of touched on this. There's this, like, infinite number of frequencies almost, right, right, to listen to. Well, even though the meta program was able to monitor a fairly large swath of frequencies, it was only a tiny percentage of all electromagnetic radiation frequencies. In 1959, Italian physicist Giuseppe Cocconi and American physicist Philip Morrison. Those are very stereotypical Italian and American names, uh, by the way. You said Philip Morris. I'm like, wait a second. Yeah, Philip Morrison. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> published a paper proposing the exact frequency that would be used. They figured it out. The one. Why? How? How did they figure out this is the one? This frequency was known as the hydrogen line, 21 centimeter line, or the HI line. The explanation of how this was deduced is extremely complex. I read through a number of papers on it, and I'm going to try to summarize it a little bit. Okay. So basically, there exists a cosmic hiss or background noise that is created by the change in energy state of neutral hydrogen atoms 
when they then go down a level. So you're to, listening to entropy. Yeah. Essentially. Yes. You're, you're, okay. li- you're listening you to go. decay. S- decay specifically of hydrogen atoms. This frequency is able to pass through not only interstellar dust, but can also pass through the Earth's atmosphere. It's radiation. It's Yes, it's radiation. All electromagnetic yeah, it's radiation. It's, it's basically, yeah. Yes. Assuming that the hydrogen is uniformly distributed throughout the galaxy, each line of sight through the galaxy will reveal a hydrogen line. The difference between each of these lines is the Doppler shift that each of these lines has. Therefore, one can calculate the distance to a certain point within the galaxy based on the Doppler shift of a hydrogen line. This hydrogen line observations also have been used to indirectly calculate the mass of galaxies, to put limits on any change over time of the universal gravitational constant, and to study the dynamics of individual galaxies. So basically, there's a sort of default or constant frequency that exists in the universe. The thought is that any intelligent life would use this frequency to communicate, which we can then monitor for do you signals. Have a, do you have this sound? No, I don't have this sound. I was just wondering if you had this frequency. It's, or, I, uh, what is, is it, it like what, how many hertz or something? Yeah, it's it's 1.4 gigahertz. Okay. Well, that's not what we all use for phones, so that's good. Yeah. Also, I don't think you could hear that. We couldn't listen to that. We can't listen to that? 1.4 gigahertz? Oh, that, yeah, that's a lot of hertz. That's very fast. It's real fast. <laughs> yeah. You can't hear that. <laughs> You'll be like, Wi-Fi right, do you want to like, hear it? I have it. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, play it. That was it? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that is what the meta program was searching for, was this this particular frequency. And a second such effort... Meta, Question. Yep. If you have 1.4 gigahertz, can they record that and then slow it down enough so that we can hear it? Or would it just go... Then, it, what, it then just it's be, just a regular beat, you know what I mean? Like, would it just be... Yeah, it okay, depends so how it's, much it's you... It's not a special... No. It doesn't... It doesn't modulate. Right, I should that say. would be frequency modulation. Right, it That's doesn't change. Else. It doesn't change. It just it's a constant. Well, if it changed, that would be That's what I'm data wondering. in the signal. Right. That's what I'm wondering. That's what you're looking for. Right. Okay. Yes. So Meta is searching for this signal. A second such effort, Meta Two, began in Argentina in 1990 to search the southern hemisphere. Because keep in mind, we're kind of still limited by what we can see in the sky. Mm-hmm. In fact, Meta Two is still in operation after an equipment upgrade. In 1996, the follow-on to Meta was named Beta for Billion Channel Extraterrestrial Assay and commenced observations in 1995. The heart of Beta's processing capability consisted of 63 dedicated fast Fourier transformer engines, each capable of performing a 2 to the 22nd point complex FFT in two okay. seconds oh, okay, and okay. 21 general purpose personal computers equipped with digital super signal awesome. processing. Got it. Well, okay, so it sounds super impressive and technical until you realize this was 1995. So I'm sure it's less computing power than, than an like, iPhone. Than an yeah, iPhone. Exactly. Sure. Regardless, this allows Beta to receive 250 million simultaneous channels with a resolution of 0.05 hertz per channel. It's scanned through the microwave spectrum from 1.4 to 1.72 gigahertz. Jake, I'm yeah. going to interrupt your your tirade of numbers. Uh-huh. S- uh, space-based solar power yeah. that you're talking about uh-huh. is up is demands 0.9 civilization. So that's oh. that's pretty and it's they basically say this is really deep, but it says that uh at point nine, space-based solar power prototypes face hurdles of space degree and global cleanup is initiated with the backing of world governments. Blah, 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 just so you can even you think about using it. Um, and it looks like our society is 0. 0.7. 0. 
There you go. 3D printers emerge, particle accelerators. Well, okay, they mentioned 3D printers. Oh, yeah, obviously, this is a 0.7. Well, genetic <laughs> genetic editing experiments, nuclear fusion. It's where we are. So the most data for 0.7 is that's where the most data is because that's where we are. Drones are widely used, blah, blah, blah. But you realize whoever's coming up with this, they have to modify, like, the definition as we continue. Oh, of course. It just, so, it's, it, to me, it's meaningless. Like, it's, it's stupid to think about cartridge scales. No, you have to. You have to. You have to. Be Why? Able, because you need to be able to measure the progress of society. You want to make sure that also, you're moving it's forward. It's so, um, like, hypothetical, though, that, like. This is all hypothetical. What are we talking about? Freaking aliens here. This is here. fact. I am talking about fact, Chris. This is all you're hypothetical. You're the one off in La La Land. Point eight is. Uh, <laughs> Vertical farming and lab-grown uh-huh. meat becomes uh-huh. common. Uh-huh. So this is like you can see, like, if we we need to get to point one or we're dead. Okay. It won't matter how many aliens we're listening to. <laughs> okay. Regardless, this super beta receiver thing, it scanned the whole situation. Uh, an important capability of the beta search was rapid and automatic reobservation of candidate signals. So this means that it achieves by observing the sky with two adjacent beams. Mm-hmm. And then the west beam is consistent with the speed of Earth's rotation. So basically, you can verify if something's there and we're rotating. Like, oh, I saw it again. Confirmation. Okay. What would you call that? It's just Triangulation like, of some sort? Yeah, it's or? just more like double confirmation of yeah, signal, double, right? Yeah. Uh, with all of this advanced technology and continued efforts in the search for extraterrestrial life, none have yet to be found. Italian physicist Enrico Fermi suggested in the 1950s that if advanced civilizations are common in the universe, then they should be detectable in one way or the other. This leads to the popular thought experiment known as the Fermi Paradox. You've heard of this? No, I have not. Well, you other, heard of other Fermi- than you mentioning it earlier, okay. no. Yeah, the common- Assuming you're pronouncing it correctly. Good point. It's not my strong suit. <laughs> Let's know. be clear. Okay, Carl Sagan. <laughs> no, it is Sagan. It's Sagan. It's Carl Sagan. Johnny, Sagan. Johnny, Johnny, it's Sagan. No. Anyways. No, they just said it on the late night show. Carl Sagan, welcome to the show. And then he talked. He didn't go, actually, sir, my name is Carl Sagan. <laughs> I'm going to replay as pronounced, that. As pronounced by Jake Fuller in 2022. My next guest, uh, I always look forward to having here. He is a professor of astronomy and space sciences at Cornell, director of the Laboratory for Planetary Studies. He's written a best-selling and fascinating book called The Dragons of Eden. Would you welcome, please, Dr. Carl Sagan? Eh, you're wrong. Okay. Anyways, the Fermi paradox, which is probably also pronounced correctly, uh, it basically, it's commonly understood of the concept is the question of why extraterrestrials have not visited Earth, but the same reasoning applies to the question of why signals have not yet been detected. This question is sometimes referred to as the great silence. The Mm. complete Fermi paradox is stated as follows. Bear with me. The size and age of the universe incline us to believe that many technologically advanced civilizations must exist. Either one, the initial assumption is incorrect and the technologically advanced intelligent life is much rarer than we believe, or two, our current observations are incomplete and we simply have not detected them yet, or three, our search methodologies are flawed and we are not searching for the correct indicators, or four, it is the nature of intelligent life to destroy itself. Mm. And so, as of today, for one reason or another, we haven't detected any intelligent signal. Or have we? (laughs) (laughs) Mathematically, 
predictably, verifiably, by by odds, and there are alien civilizations. Right, there and are. that's why we re- one reached out to us. Okay. Back in 1973, prior to the launch of the Meta program, Ohio State University assigned the now defunct Ohio State University Radio Observatory, nicknamed the Big Ear, to the longest-running SETI program of its kind in history. The Big Ear Radio Observatory was well-known among astronomers in its day. The telescope was designed by pioneering Ohio State University radio astronomer John Krause. Originally, it was constructed with the funds from the National Science Foundation, funds to carry out the dedicated task of creating the most accurate radio map of the sky ever. However, after Big Ear completed mapping the radio sky in 1972, the telescope needed a new task. Beginning in 1973, NASA agreed to fund a largely volunteer-staffed effort to search the sky for radio signals from technologically advanced aliens. Besides the professional astronomers behind, astronomers behind the project, a group of doctors, lawyers, school teachers, and college professors from totally unrelated professions also pitched in over the decades. Quote, We were operating on a shoestring budget, Jerry Ehrman told Astronomy in 2016. We didn't have the money to pay folks, which is why those who were involved were volunteers. The observatory was controlled remotely, and it could collect several days' worth of data before the computer ran out of storage space. At that point, a technician would show up, reset things, and start the next observing run, focusing on a new patch of sky. Late in the summer of 1977, Jerry Ehrman sat down to review the latest batch of computer printouts detailing data collected. They literally printed it out. 77. You know who else has a ton of data in their field, though? Oberk Karkir. Oh, yeah. A ton of detail. Lots of detail. Oberk was researched, developed, and tested by Karkir experts to bridge the gap between enthusiasts and professional-grade products and remove the guesswork from polishing or detailing your vehicle. These guys are passionate with a long history of developing products, so they know firsthand what makes a good product in the first place. And right now, they're offering a whopping 20% off your order at oberkkarkir.com when you use the code OVERCREST. Again, check them out over at oberkkarkir.com, coupon code OVERCREST. Even spaceships need to be clean. Uh, there you go. It's true. You're probably right. That's what we should do. When the aliens get here, we should be like, that thing's really dirty. Look at all hey, the space debris. Let's, let's do you a favor. <laughs> we'll clean that thing right up. <laughs> I got Oberkkarkir. <laughs> here, guys, alien dudes, coupon code. <laughs> okay, let's get back to the time that aliens actually contacted us, Chris. Okay. Are you ready? I feel like you're reading something else. I'm, I'm waiting. Okay. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting so for Jerry this. So Jerry Ehrman, he was this astronomer professor at Ohio State, right? And they got this program going where they're... They're listening, mm-hmm. and they get printouts every night. Is the printout of just like the, the frequencies? Let it's me just, tell you. So the printout- so it like a cardiogram? No. The printout that Jerry Ehrman was reviewing were comprised of a series of alphanumeric codes denoting the signal intensity as it was measured over time. Okay. So they're listening Again, to the same frequency. Again, by the way, great question right on time. That's how I roll. As he looked through the latest stack of papers, he spotted a set of numbers and letters. 6-E-Q-U-J-5. To the untrained eye, it looked like nonsense. But to Ehrman, the data meant that Big Ear had picked up a very strong signal that started out low, increased in strength, and then dropped off again. That meant the signal was likely picked up as one particular region of the sky passed over the detector with the Earth's rotation. It wasn't terrestrial. 
The sign also only appeared in one of- Was it like of, the Doppler effect almost? Because we were like rotating. We were it moving. Could, so it's like you can kind of see a light. Think of it as a light, yeah, right? Like a, a lighthouse. So it's, it's, it's a lighthouse yeah, turning. Yeah, so exactly. A lighthouse turning. That's basically what we saw. The signal also only appeared in one of 50 possible channels. Quote, it was a narrowband signal. Just what we were looking for with SETI. It didn't take long for me to recognize that this was extremely interesting. And the word wow came to my mind very quickly. So I wrote it down. The wow signal, as it became known, was later to have been found wow. to have originated from the Missed constellation. for the, the Owen Wilson wow meme, by the way. Wow. 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 I don't know that one. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Everybody listening knows what I'm talking okay, about. Okay, I should have added that there. Wow. So the wow signal wow. was found to originate from the constellation Sagittarius and lasted exactly 72 seconds, the entire duration that the Big Ear Telescope was focused on that point in the sky. Go ahead. I'm, okay, I thought you were ready for it. You're obviously looking up the wow. I, I am. I'm, yeah, I know what's going on over there. Wow. 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 Was that a cat? Wow. <laughs> These are all unique wows, by the way. Wow. 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 We're getting there. Wow. This is This is what this is the what we heard. Yeah. This is the wow signal. Wow. 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 That's it. That's that's the. That's he the, says oh. wow a lot. Do you think they wow. write it into the script, or is he just wowing every time? He's he just gets? wowing every time. Okay. So the wow signal was later found originated from the constellation Sagittarius and lasted exactly seventy-two seconds. How far away is that? Do we know? Uh, I didn't look it okay, up. I'll look it up. It's it's like hundreds of light years. The entire duration that the Big Ear Telescope was focused on that point. Oh my in the God, sky. it's 25,000 light years away. Oh, that's a ways. So that sound yes. is 25,000 years the old. The Owen Wilson wow that we just heard is 25,000. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, you're right. What was sent to us is 25,000 years old. So that civilization is dead. Well, we don't know that. Nah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so it lasted 72 seconds. That was basically the duration that we were able to see it as the earth rotated. What are we expecting to hear? Are we supposed to, are we expecting to hear like a, a clip of alien children? Like singing yes, Kumbaya? Yes, that's what we're sending. <sighs> Furthermore, the intensity of that signal was over 30 times stronger than the standard deviation above background noise. So it was loud, basically. Furthermore, for over 40 years, scientists have been debating whether the signal truly was contact of intelligent extraterrestrial life. The same area of the sky has been re-examined countless times to no avail. Recently, Jerry Ehrman himself had this to say in an interview. Who's, who's that? Who's He's the guy that found it and wrote okay, down that's wow. The, that's the wow yeah. guy. Okay. I'm, I'm convinced that the wow signal certainly has the potential of being the first signal from extraterrestrial intelligence. But I can't prove it. And on the other hand, no one has been able to disprove it. So 
What else could it be? What are the alternate theories? The alternate theories are like a pulsar or some other weird natural like stars exploding thing. So a star blew up and made it go. Yep, exactly. But if this really was an alien signal. A a star in Sagittarius exploded 25,000 light years away. Right. And made this sound. Yes. There's stars exploding right now. Right now there's stars exploding. <laughs> okay. And it's not doing this. Right? I know, I know Chris. Okay. I'm That's just saying. Like, no, like all joking aside, this like is widely known. Like if you Google the wow signal, it's been on the X-Files. It's been in like pop culture. Like okay. it's widely known as like the time we probably heard from aliens. And, and did nothing. Well, here's the thing. If it was really an alien signal, what was it saying? Right? Was it just sort of a beacon or could there have been data encoded in the signal? Well, the problem is... It's probably how to do cold fusion. Right, it's how to like time travel or something. (laughs) Here's the problem. We don't know. We've had each each number is like a one millisecond sample, 10 of them. And there's no way you can detect modulation with 10 isolated one millisecond samples. I'm just using one millisecond as a, uh, you know, it could have been 10 milliseconds. It couldn't have been much longer than 10 milliseconds. But you can't, you can't uh, break out any modulation with such discrete data. So, so we didn't have a high enough resolution well, basically, all to, the system to, to break it down. Yeah, all the system was designed to do was it didn't record any signal. It just displayed that there was a signal. Fuck. Right, and so we have zero recording of this anywhere. We just know that there was a signal, and it was very strong. So, uh, is so there... for all we know, this could have been the secret to the universe that they wanted to give us, and we didn't record it. Damn it. There have been countless attempts over the years to explain a natural origin for the wow signal, like I mentioned. Some convincing, others outlandish. But the fact remains, there is no way to prove the origin of the signal one way or the other. And so the mystery of the wow signal endures as the single instance of probable alien contact. I'm disappointed. I hope we're certainly... Nice job, Jake, by the way. Thank you. Um... I know it got kind of deep and and no no into the I, I, I love this there. stuff I, I love it a lot I'm just wondering if are we do we have constantly have something pointed at that coordinates right they, now they have for years yes I hope right now we do yeah some dude's just sitting there like you know yeah, this yeah. guy sitting in the submarine with this, oh yeah like, yeah yeah yeah, yeah the sonar the, guy the sonar he's guy just he's just like just, come on come on come on come on guys come on come on guys so to your point earlier on though like the odds of actually seeing a blip or something are so astronomically small because you figure like if you're able to broadcast something either direct enough mm-hmm. or Typing, strong yeah. enough, you know, it's probably doing like a lighthouse swirl, right? But in 360 degrees. It would, so imagine it would pointing be a so, laser pointer at the moon and going to the moon and trying to find the laser pointer. Right. That's how ridiculous so, it Because is. a lot of the critiques of this are like, well, why isn't it a constant signal then if they're trying to get a hold of us? Well, they're probably, maybe it will come back, but the duration is like 50 years until we see it again. Right. Maybe they're just beaming every planet that they think. They go beep, beep, beep. Right. Because there's a zillion planets. Yeah. And so that was 72 seconds of data we should have gotten right there. And we didn't. Because we suck. Yeah. We could have. Actually, here's the thing. Maybe it was going for 24 hours straight, but our little focus 
only detected it for 72 seconds because that's the window that we saw it in. Hmm. It was probably cold fusion and time travel. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. We lost it. That was it. All right. Well, sad. <laughs> moving on. That's, that's great. What is the best alien movie of all time, in your opinion? Is I it, think Contact. You think Contact yes, is 100%. pretty good? After going through all of this research again, I'm just like, wow, that is written very well. It's very realistic. It has all the elements there. I really like Contact. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Contact was, I remember it being good. Um, what was the, what is the movie with, um, obviously you've got 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is less like an alien movie than That's it is not our official intelligence yeah. movie. Um, what was the movie that was, that came out recently that they were, they went on to the, the ship landed sphere. S- no s- sphere is very good. Yeah. Michael Crichton. Yeah. Amazing book. Yeah. Oh, amazing book. Way better than, than the movie, but the it's, it was recently, it just recently came out and they went on the ship and there was like a link, like a linguist. Oh yeah, the one with Jeremy Renner. Yeah, and yeah, it's like the ship comes down, and so they're teaching him the language. Yep. Uh, not what is the name of it? That's like it's the, on the tip of my tongue. That's like the baby in the forest type of thing. Like yes, you it should is. not be communicating with this thing. Right. But what are you supposed to do? Hook up a tow truck to it and move it onto the moon or something? <laughs> you know. What was the name of that one? I don't know. Doesn't matter. We can't. But yeah, you're right. That was good too. That was a fantastic movie. All right, guys, that's it for today. I have no idea what's going on next week. No clue, none whatsoever, but we'll, we'll probably it out. do another uh, Overcrest short for our Patreon. I'm sorry, Drivers Club members. Yeah, Overcrest. So head over there. Slash Drivers Club. Support the show, support the rally, support the everything. We'd really appreciate it. On that note, we will see you next week. Take care. Wow.